Warning. The Outsider's Edge contains strong opinions, unconventional views, and contrarian stances. Listen, if you dare. Hey, yo! What is going on, everybody? I'd like to thank you for listening to another episode of The Outsider's Edge. And yes, I know you all know my voice, but I don't start the show. It's your boy Rance, a.k.a. Ray Cash. This is The Outsider's Edge. Um, and I have a special episode for you. Episode so early, I had to go, what is it, 18 hours? Something like that. It's a long time. 18, 19, 20 hours. Depends if there's daylight savings or not. We... We're yeah, time traveling, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah we're, we're traveling. doing this yesterday, a few days from now. Uh, yeah, we're international, y'all. I had to call good friend of the podcast, good friend of mine, kind of my friend of me, so to speak, when it <laughs> comes to certain things. Um, but the most sensible and biggest AEW fan I know. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> that gives also, me hate here on the chair shot. Oh, no. <laughs> Immediate hate. <laughs> well, I, I may have thrown you off to the walls for a minute, but no, we're, we we don't hate AEW, but uh, but no, uh, my good friend, uh, you may know him as Sir Sam, uh, Sam Brown from WrestlingHeadlines.com, also Social Suplex, and by the way, for the record, before I give it to you, one of the best podcasts on the internet, the AEW Magic Guy podcast, you should be listening to, but Sam. We've been trying to do this for a year or two now. Good to see you, man. <laughs> yeah, look, AEW's had to, like, half burn down for it to happen, but it's happening. It's happening. Um, yeah, man, I'm I'm excited to be here. Uh, for those of you, yeah, who don't know me, I've been a writer on Wrestling Headline, formerly Lords of Pain, uh, for a good number of years. Uh, and, and that's how I know Rant, Ray, you go by Ray Cashier. Sorry, man. <laughs> um, either or is fine. It's yeah. been it's been ten years now. People know me either way. So yeah, <laughs> and that's how I know you. And I, you know, last year I started a podcast, a new project called um, the AEW Match Guide Podcast, where we deep dive into the the matches that AEW's had. It's a historic podcast, looking to give things their you know their full historic perspective that you can get through time diving into the matches analyzing a match each week with a special guest i've had yourself on mm -hmm. we talked about the the parking lot fight between the best friends uh, and proud and powerful it was a really fun episode that was a you know about a year or a year or so ago now that we did that yeah but season two just started um just did just this week um had rich ladder on who's another friend of ours to talk about uh the revolution tag between kenny omega and hangman page and the young bucks and coming up this week by like the most fortuitous thing ever talking about cm punk versus darby allen that drops on friday <laughs> so um it, it, the timing could not have worked out better 
I mean, I'm saying like that CM Punk dude is in the news, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, man, it's pretty good for the SEO, <laughs> the, the Google um, search and all that. It's it's worked out well. <laughs> before we start, uh, just a fun fact: you mentioned that Revolution tag between Hangman, Kenny, and the Bucks. I was a Bucks hater for most of my wrestling fandom. Um, it was the match against uh, the Golden Lovers, and then this match that showed me they really could work. It wasn't all the flash and substance was just a gimmick for getting money. Like mm. that, that revolution tag team match is one of the greatest matches, tag team matches, however you want to, you know, put it or, or layer it I've ever seen. So I'm, I'm really interested to see that, to hear that podcast, hear that. Episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I, I understand. Cause like I'm, I'm a big AEW fan. Like obviously I've done a podcast about him, but I'm a wrestling storytelling fan. Like, my, I'm not a, I'm not a guy who's into moves, moves, moves. Um, I'm a guy who's deeply in, in, who, who loves to dig into story, loves to dig into character. Like my favorite storyline ever is Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins, and how like over many, many years they like they told this great story of of brotherhood and coming together and and fighting together and then betrayal and revenge and then somehow forgiveness and getting over that. That's yeah. the kind of stuff that really gets me going. And this, like, one of the things that has got me into the elite and into AEW is that I really love, like, the long-term storytelling that the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, uh, Hangman Adam Page just seem to get into. And it's not for everyone. Um, some people, you know, call it high school drama club, and I can understand that, honestly. But, it's wrestling. And some it's people, all high school drama. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, some people do think, look, wrestling doesn't need to be that that uh, – it doesn't need to be that, what do you put it, um, ambitious necessarily. Like, it, it, you mm. know, it's just it's just people fake fighting. But you know what? I love the ambition. I love that they're trying to do something different. I love that, you know, they're trying to tell the Game of Thrones story of wrestling over many yeah. years. And, you know, like that tag match that you talked about with the Golden Lovers uh, versus the Young Bucks, that's like the first in this story. Then you've got the Revolution tag, which is like the sequel. And then, you know, we've seen now just at All Out, we saw this trios match, which is like the third in it. And, you know, they're going to, they've done other stuff within that. And I, I love that ambition. I love that storytelling. Um, and yeah, I, I'm not a moves dude, but I love the Young Bucks <laughs> because, of, because of their storytelling. It, it, and I, I would throw the Kenny uh, Hangman title match in, in mm. that sequence. 100%. Because the Bucks kind of gave him the okay after all that had happened behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. And, um, and you can throw in, there's a bunch of other matches that they've had in between yeah. that as well. And yeah, yeah. look, if you want to hear me talk about it for hours, I've got like podcasts about these whole things <laughs> where I do, I literally do talk about these things for hours and, do, you know, really deep dive into the stories. But I, look, I just, I say that because you brought up the Young Bucks and you brought up that tag match. And yeah. Uh, yeah, look, I I understand why it's not everyone's cup of tea, and I understand why the young bucks aren't that cup of tea, aren't everyone's cup of tea. But man, I I really respect the ambition. Um, I really respect the vision. Um, yeah. and that's one of the reasons I love AEW as well, which we'll get into, uh, as yeah. we talk about you know this shitstorm that's come up, and uh, as you know, as as we go into what our thoughts are on Sam Punk. One of the things that I I was really drawn to with AEW was the vision that wrestling can be different. Um, was the vision that that they could do something that was um, better 
uh, and and really having laying it out there on the line, putting their nuts on the line, and really taking a giant risk when they didn't have to, um, to try and create a different industry and, and create a better industry. And, and I have so much respect for that, and I was drawn to that vision. I was drawn to that ambition, uh, and that's one of the things that's made me an AEW fan. I'm glad you brought that up because I want I did kind of before we got into kind of the rigmarole of the day, I wanted to touch on. What drove you to AEW? So you've, you've expounded on it a bit, but I think if I could be so upfront to say WWE and kind of their monotony, and of course, for a lot of people, their uh, trials and tribulations outside of the ring, that mm. essentially turned you off or at least made you uncomfortable or not so much a fan anymore, kind of walked away more and more and more. And AEW kind of picked up right, well, I'm sorry, New Japan kind of picked up right at a yeah. point and then led into AEW. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think even though I may be a primary WWE fan, I had the same kind of walk you had where New Japan mm. got me interested and kind of led me into a different type of wrestling where, you know, opened up a new door for a lot of people because everybody mm. didn't see the primary kind of, uh, workers and guys in AEW and New Japan that we see now. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, look, up till 2017, I'd never really paid wrestling outside of WWE any attention. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I knew it existed. I knew it was good. Every every now and again, something will come up and you'd, you'd see it and you'd be like, oh, that's cool, whatever. But, you know, back in the day, I loved watching AJ Styles in TNA. But, you know, I never really, like, deeply explored any of those areas until and, – and then in 2017, um, Kenny Omega and Kuzichiro Okada had that in, insane match at Wrestle Kingdom, which for a lot of people I think is something that was really opened their eyes um, and, mm. and was something – it was like, oh, wow, wrestling on a big stage, like on a, you know, a WrestleMania level event can be something incredibly different, incredibly athletic. Uh, and – even but even then, I, WWE was still my primary thing that I watched. Like 2017 is one of my favorite years as an AW as a WWE fan. Um, okay. Particularly like the the reunion angle between Seth Rollins and and uh, Dean Ambrose was that's literally one of the things that made me start writing about wrestling. Um, before this is a that, good I was, point to tell the people that Ambrose yeah. slash Moxley is your favorite wrestler. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so yeah, I. To, to wind the clock back a little bit further, I can't, kind of came back to watching wrestling in 2014 um, when I heard CM Punk had left. Um, I was just heard mm. the buzz, and I heard CM Punk had left, and Daniel Bryan was like, something was happening with him, and I was like, oh, I might check out this ev this uh, Elimination Chamber um, pay-per-view and see what's going on, and the Shield-Wyatt's match just blew my mind because I'd never seen any of them before, and I was immediately captivated by every one, every one of them in that tag, but particularly Dean Ambrose. And then I, yeah, as I said, like I, I love that that Seth Rollins Dean Ambrose storyline. And when they came back together to to like go through forgiveness, I I just loved that wrestling was doing something that was like really positive masculinity almost on display, like forgiveness. Okay. And these yeah. guys like working through these difficult things that they'd gone through and not being sure where they stood. But and, and I that's what made me. I was writing about cycling at the time, if you believe, at the Tour de France. I was doing a live vlog of the Tour de France, watching wrestling, and I was like, oh, I'm not going to write. I'm not going to write about cycling. I want to write about wrestling for a bit. And and that's 
that was that's how I ended up writing about wrestling for five years. <laughs> that's quite and, the transition, uh, right? Yeah, quite yeah. the transition. Yeah, but it, yeah, yeah, in 20, but yeah, so I was watching, still watching WWE, but uh, definitely throughout the, I saw particularly in 2018 that Seth Rollins' rise was really stymied by um, by Brock Lesnar's positioning in the company and, and the way that he really dominated the main event scene and, and other, others as well, like, um, you know, The Undertaker was, was constantly coming back at, and and taking I guess the positions that I felt the the stars of that generation shouldn't be denied, um, and I, I love that generation of talent in the WWE and seeing them like stall in the way that they did in 2017 and and particularly in 2018 and 19, particularly 2018 and 19 was where it really started to to become evident and obvious. Um, that that really threw me off, and at the same time I'm starting to dabble my toe into um, particularly in 2018, starting to dabble my toe into what's happening in New Japan and the Bullet Club storyline with Cody and Kenny Omega was happening um, that sort of culminated in that that glorious tag match you mentioned before. And then the, the two out of three falls match with Kazuchika Okada was part of that storyline as well. And I was just like, I see the vision that these guys have for wrestling where it's not just like this – it's this long form storytelling that drags it out. It's all based around the relationships that these characters have. Uh, and they're tease so much like these guys just tease, tease, tease. Uh, and then it, it pay, it's paid off with these incredibly athletic and emotive matches. Uh, and, and that's what I saw as the vision for in 2018 for AEW. And then when they announced that they were going to do a company, they were going to become a company. I was just, I was like, yeah, I want to, I want to see this. And then, I think in 2019 they had that WWE had a really good run up to Mania, but then I don't know if you remember the months after Mania, but they were just absolutely yeah. shocking creatively and storyline wise. Um, yeah. The, the, the catalyst for me was the um, Money in the Bank when Mustafa Ali, who I loved from 205 Live, like 205 Live was one of my favorite shows, and I loved Mustafa Ali, but he was left looking like a fucking idiot. Yeah. literally holding the briefcase and seeing like these wrestlers from a generation that I love bust their ass for like 20 minutes. And then yep. Brock Lesnar waltzes in at the last minute and takes the the thing that they were busting their ass for. It was just too much of a metaphor for me for everything yeah. that I'd hated about WWE. And I was like, you know what? I just saw this double or nothing show that was absolutely awesome. I am. I don't think I need WWE in my life anymore. And it seems like they are riding the ship in a big way at the moment and have been for a number of years, particularly with what I was talking about with, um, you know, the generation kind of really facing a glass ceiling from like 2020 onwards or so. It seems like that's sort of been removed. Um, yeah. But, you know, by that stage, I was gone. I was a ship that sailed. <laughs> yeah. And it's OK. You know, um, there's nothing wrong with that. Like one thing that's important to note that. I would hope the the most ardent WWE fan and a lot of us tend to be a little crazy out there sometimes <laughs> would tell you is man like watch what you want to watch bro like it's yeah. okay I say and the same I, thing I say this yeah. exactly the same thing yeah there's nothing wrong with that like there's enough out here for all of us mm. um but yeah yeah those I remember those days in that particular that moment and it it, it was it was sad and there's a 
well, as I guess as we start to transition to AEW a bit, that there's such a Vince is nothing if nothing else was consistent, right? Mm. Um, if nothing else, Vince McMahon was consistent in 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 what he did and his ideals and how he booked. And there's always a very thin line between doing what's, uh, pardon the pun, best for business mm. and catering to your fan base. Mm. And I, as we can see, the business of WWE is greater than it's ever been. Mm. And I think they, for a lot of fans, maybe catered a bit too much to the business. Mm. And instead of catering to the fans, mm. something that Triple H, as you said, seems to be kind of getting... yeah. Getting right, but I also think he's in a unique position because he can't wrestle anymore. Mm. Undertaker is retired. Goldberg's probably done. Like all these old dudes you would have mm. brought back are you can't anymore. Yeah. Essentially. So yeah, like Edge like, is the old guy you bring back. And Edge is a regular performer. So Yeah. And and look, I, I'd be remiss to not mention that the trials and tribulations of Dean Ambrose in the WWE were really obviously a catalyst this is my favorite wrestler uh yeah. 2016 man that should have been his year um he was white hot at the start of the year and it, it wwe missed the boat on it and they never even tried to like well they did the, okay to be fair they did give they you know they made him the initial champion for smackdown um he did get that win in the shield triple threat but they weren't willing to put him over brock um, they when you know he was red hot at Mania when he was doing Roman Reigns' job for him in heating up this ma- this this WrestleMania feud with Triple H, uh, like and and then as I said I love that storyline in 2017 but then 2018 hit and he was out injured for most of it and then it seemed like yeah. there was just the end of the year for him. I wanted to see the vision. I wanted it to be good, but it wasn't. And of course he then leaves jumps ship and turns up in this product that I'm already interested in because I'm already really into the elite. And then my favorite wrestler's in there and then he's wrestling a G1. Of course, that's going to be something that's going to, uh, you know, be a big factor in me jumping, jumping across because, you know, I feel like my favorite wrestler was denied the position. I felt he should have had as the, you know, the face of the company, uh, which, you know, he, for various reasons, it didn't work out in WWE. Um, I've got a big column ranting about all that. If anyone really wants to see my full view on that, um, you know, and, but he was featured as the main, was one of the main dudes in AEW early on, uh, and has become the dude in AEW. Mm. Like he's become the ace of the company. Uh, mm. and I reckon, probably the most important man in the wrestling industry. And that was never more obvious and evident than this week um, where he, you know, cut a promo that like revived a a promotion that had lost its way um, that like rallied a team around it. Oh man, I'm getting, getting ready. I'm really galloping 10,000 miles ahead of where you need me right now. (laughs) No, Hey man, look, this is a, this is a, a a weaving road. We're going to look, this is like, this is going to be like a therapy session. Once we get to this press conference, mate, (laughs) man, look, Oh my God. So if, if I could try to, as we say on the show, journalism, our way to, uh, the work to the next spot, by the way, word to Billy Kay for journalism. Um, when Ambrose left the company, um, and I'm going to call him Ambrose in the situation just because yeah, of the WWE nah. connection. Ambrose mocks um, Yeah. There was a 
pretty scathing uh, podcast he did. Oh, yeah. That <laughs> kind of talked about his grievances and where he came from uh, and where, where his uh, his disdain came from and why he was so quick and happy to leave. Mm. Um, granted, I believe he did it the right way. He let his contract run out mm. and went about his way instead of asking for it out. Nothing wrong with someone asking for it to be out of the contract, yep. but like he was like, I'm going to do this right so I can be done. Let Drew um, McIntyre beat him like three times in a row every week. Hey, every those week. last few months were not good until the until the little hey, mini those shi- the shield re- it was the weirdest ending because the shield reunions were really cool, but and like in between that he's getting beaten by everyone, which is fair yeah. enough. Like, he's going yeah. out. So. He was about to feud with <laughs> Nia Jax, the random feud with EC3. Yeah. It was not good. Yeah. Um, but the irony of that. From him going from that to becoming the ace of the company, in a company that the guy who did that first was supposed to be the ace of, is pretty ironic, don't you yeah. think? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh. Uh, yep. So let's let's get to it. By the way, um, for those of you who are under a rock, have no internet, or if you've been on sabbatical, whatever the case is, <laughs> AW All Out, which is. This is the first wrestling podcast you've listened to in a week. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you haven't touched the internet in seven days. Yeah. <laughs> um, but by, by the way, me and Cal had this debate. What's the biggest show for all for AW? Is it all out of double or nothing? Because I think it's double or nothing, given that that's the show with the pump and the circumstance, and it's the first show they ever did. Mm. He thinks it's all out. What do you think? Yeah, look, it's one of those two. I I feel like they don't necessarily have a this is the biggest show of the year. Like a, as in like, they don't necessarily have like a, this is WrestleMania sort of deal. Cause like double or nothing is the first show of the company. And they have had a lot of like, there's, there's a lot of importance in what double or nothing has been for the company as well. Like if you think about how it's been the first time it was, it was like the catalyst for the company launching. You had that Dustin and Cody match that like really set, the company apart from the WWE, I feel like, and, and was really a statement and then had Moxley, course, debut. John Moxley debuting as well, which yeah. is like the second part of that, that really set them apart. <clears throat> and then the second all out, sorry, the second double or nothing was the first pandemic pay-per-view they did, which was like yep. just this incredible moment in time where the world is, everything's going to shit. And there's just this ray of hope for four hours, five hours, however long it was. And then the third one, of course, was the return of crowds. So, like, Double or Nothing is a really special event for AEW. Um, and then, but, uh, yeah, like, All Out, that's that, that's that got the all-in lineage, right? Like, that was the pilot. Yeah. That yeah. was the and, – and there's been a lot of really momentous things at All Out as well. Um, so, look, I, I don't know. I'd say they're, like, 1A and 1B. It's it's hard to hard to split – I'd probably say double or nothing if you like put a gun to my head, but yeah. honestly, I think like my favorite has been full gear. <laughs> if I just talk from a, a purely a purely uh, fan perspective, full gear I think has been probably my favorite. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's a fair point. Um, Kyle and I kind of use the TNA Impact uh, analogy that while Bound for Glory is what they prop as their biggest show, mm. Slammiversary usually ends up being bigger. So yeah. like it doesn't necessarily matter. Um, doesn't have to be a WWE situation or a WCW situation with Starcade. Like, mm. there's so much matter per se. Um, but yeah, all out happened. 
um, we have this convoluted storyline where CM Punk returns hmm. from injury um, to confront Moxley to unify the titles at All Out in his hometown of Chicago. And CM Punk in Chicago is one of the most unbeatable home court yes. home field advantages. And they, they played that up or entertainment. in the intro, in the, in the build-up, didn't they? <laughs> Just a little. Well, Chicago, Chicago yeah. was a character in the, in the match. <laughs> it was literally a character in the story. Um, they Instead of doing waiting for the match to be at the pay-per-view, they do it oh, two weeks early. Yep. Uh, Punk, uh, as uh, one of my favorite podcasters, Kazim from EUI, uh, Real Life Cast, says, got dog walked by Moxley because of <laughs> a quote-unquote injury. Yeah. I still don't know if the injuries work or, or real or not. <laughs> I, I don't care anymore at this point. They redo the match because uh, Moxley leaves a, uh open contract. A yep. still... CM Punk's trainer, who we're not told this until this happens, like, mm. like, like diehard fans, have, they know that. But I'd never still. seen him before. I had no idea who he was until the announcers said it. But the announcers said, "Well, that's a steal. He's it. CM Punk's whatever." Yeah, what's he doing? No, they, here? They, they addressed it, but I mean, yeah. like, that was a random yeah. ass. Yeah, I was, topic. I was like, why is everyone just afraid of Moxley? Like, why, why isn't there a stampede to the? <laughs> he just way, dropped an open contract. <laughs> by the way, I am a big person with logic in wrestling. Yeah. And I know it's impossible sometimes yeah. because, you know, we have undead zombies and yeah. shit <laughs> in wrestling. But the fact that nobody came out to get the contract but a producer, yeah, yeah. That, that's a lack well, of continuity. I mean, the week before, he's just, like, literally killed Sam Punk in, you know, four minutes. He's he's that, running hot man. No one no one wants to no one wants to mess with that. <laughs> that is a great point. I heard someone speak about. I know I'm I'm gonna get back. It's to reach, the It's reaching. It's uh, reaching. <laughs> yeah. So you know, Big Cass, aka W Morrissey, made his yeah. debut that night. Yeah. Why why wouldn't he think instead of beating up these dudes who don't matter, I'm gonna go get the contract? Hey, Moxley's already beaten him. Mox beat him back in 2019. Put him in his place. Showed his place in the food chain. He doesn't want it. He doesn't that, want his debut to be getting knocked on it, do, dropped on his head. <laughs> well, there's I mean, the, he, it was like at an indie in like 2019, just in between okay. um, before Mox went to Japan. Um, gotcha. WH Morrissey, still known as Big or Kaz XL, and he's he's like gotcha. talking shit in the <laughs> talking shit, and then Dirty Deeds, Dunder Cheap comes on, and John Moxley comes mm-hmm. out and beats him up <laughs> to the joys Got- of the crowd. Gotcha. But he okay. knew where he stood. He didn't want his debut to be getting dropped on his head. <laughs> oh, you you sticking with the kayfabe heart? I love it. Mate, uh, I, I love I mean, it. It's John Moxley. <laughs> it's John Moxley, man. <laughs> hey, well, he's the best. <laughs> un- unfortunately. Um, a still gives this rousing rocky speech that's a month and a half worth of build up mm. in like 15 minutes. Yeah, punk, ru- it, punk runs to the crowd and Rolls we will line. beat Moxley. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and and of course, pay per view Moxley. You said some you 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 called him the most important was it the most important man in wrestling or something? Yeah, something's... most important wrestler in the world. No, as a as a Roman Reigns fan, you know I have some objections, but I think to the to the wide world of wrestling, mm. Moxley like there were 
companies that depend on Moxley. Yeah. Like, not a company, companies. Yeah. So you have some credence to that statement. And he does the job for CM Punk. Yep. Which, Chicago wins again, right? Yep. It is what it is. <laughs> However you feel about it, that was the decision that was made. I didn't see All Out. We'll get into that. I didn't watch it live. I'm sure I'll catch it. Especially with all this happened, I kind of want to see everything now. It was a really good um, match. It was a really good match. I heard. I did hear. Um, by the way, I, this isn't this isn't putting the car before the horse, but CM Punk got injured again in yep. the match. Uh, um, but MJF makes his uh, triumphant, I think mm. I, it's fair to say, return after the match. As the Joker, earlier Stokely and his boys uh, got the chip, gave it to MJF. So now you have this wonderful story of Mox was vanquished. What's he going to do next? CM Punk is the old, grizzled, begrudging champion again. And MJF, the hottest dude in the company, outside of Moxley, has returned to face the guy who, Mm. one could say, sent him out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everything is here. We got, I mean, the next three months are just ridden, right? Mm. Yep. And, and then Ox is going to go on vacation with his lovely wife and kid, you know, yep. a well-deserved break for a guy who put the company on his shoulder when Sam Punk got injured yep. and, uh, you know, managed to, to salvage this show, the Forbidden Door show in a great match with Tanahashi and then had this awesome storyline like this. I, I reckon, honestly, like I think the build up to the, the Punk confrontation where you've got... <clears throat> this guy who's like bristling at being called an interim champ and his mm. boys around him, like Regal, every time he's on commentary and, and someone says interim Regal immediately jumps in and corrects him and goes like, this is the world champ. And he's like ramping up the rhetoric every week, feels completely disrespected um, by CM Punk. And then CM Punk comes back and disrespects him and then gets dropped on his head and fucked up. Like, and, and John Moxley is the fucking champ and yep. like is he's, He's like, what did you think was going to happen? You know, yep. completely validated. And then, look, I I even liked the the stuff they did with Sam Punk, and I think the the issue was purely timing. Like, yeah. if they could have stretched that over two or three weeks, it would have been brilliant. And the match was really good as well. But you know, then this fucking press conference happened, and Punk went off his head, like went completely nuclear and mental, and screwed everything. Which I think is what you're about to say. Oh, 100 percent. Like, I mean, after all, the company was in such a good place. All Out didn't have, a, as we've seen, as we've seen by the buy rates, which and again, I'm not a ratings guy. I, I am a numbers guy because numbers give facts. But like stuff like that doesn't matter in a company, in a business that's all about subjectivity. Mm. But unfortunately, in a show that should have done a better number than it did. Mm. There was a lot of things about All Out while really, really good. Some really mm. great stories. You know you're going to have great matches. I think it wasn't the same feeling about the show as you would normally expect. Yeah. Uh, oh, look, that, 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 that feeling has been around AEW most of this year, I feel like. Like the okay. they've had they've had a lot of triumphs. And even, like, as I said, the Moxley title reign, triumphant, fantastic. But, you know, the build-up, particularly to Forbidden Door, was like – really weird and, and patchy same with the build up to double yep. or nothing creative yep. has felt rushed there's been you know lots of stuff going on that just fear it just felt like this company was losing its magic a little bit 
um, and, and losing its losing its magic source that it, that it put into and and the attention to detail that they'd put into things wasn't there, uh, yeah. and and that had been going on for a for a while, uh, and then of course it's compounded by like, you know, last year here, Tony Khan is like starting to reveal himself as you know not necessarily the the person that he sold himself as necessarily like sure. last year you had the the stuff with Marco Stunt and Joey Janela and you're like wait hold on this is this is not how it's meant to be like you guys right. are meant to be the company that is looking after its wrestlers and these guys are like yeah sure they're getting paid but there, there's like no communication which if you've ever worked in an organization like it's vital and mm-hmm. you know we're seeing more and more things going on like suddenly roh is like going on and tony's gonna book that as well um you know as well as being (laughs) the ceo of fulham as well as being like someone in the jacksonville jaguars i don't quite know as well as having like a sports analytics business you know i've got a full-time job and takes up most of my life and then i've got a family and that takes up the rest of it like this guy's got four full-time jobs (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and out and for multi million dollars yeah. and with the Jaguars, yeah. billion dollar jobs. Yeah. yeah, and and creative is not consistent. Yeah, as I said, like the attention to detail is not there. There's people who are stalling in the way that they're getting booked. Like guys like Darby Allen, Semi Guevara, um, you know, supposedly the pillars of this company. It, it's they're they're getting lost in the shuffle suddenly, whereas la- last year they're not. And, you know, Hangman Page, he has this great title run. And then, like, what happens? I don't know. He, he had that the four-way, but, like, the the way that that ended up happening, the four-way was, like, the creative in the lead-up to it was really confusing and, and not well done. Uh, and then after it, he's doing nothing, like, just spinning his wheels, doing nothing. And, yeah, you're just like, what what is going on? That yeah. is causing such inconsistency and such sort of chaotic goings on, where previously this wasn't the case. And then, of course, in the lead up to All Out, news starts to come out left and right that like, oh, things are not okay in this company. Like yeah. stuff backstage is is like the the springs are coming loose. The you know, the mothership yeah. is starting to come apart at the seams. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 really unfortunate. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna get into all that because I really want to expound more on that. But I want I really want to start this press conference because I think the <laughs> press conference was a look into a lot of those things wrong with the company. Um, so you've seen it in you've seen Punk's part in his entirety, correct? Oh yeah. So like watching on the night, you know, on the day because the the pay per view happens in the middle of the day where I am sure. after it. Watch it. I'm like feeling good. Like the match with Punk and Moxley. I'm, you know, thinking I'll wait to listen to one of the post show reviews. I'm, you know, writing up a tweet about because John Moxley is obviously my favorite wrestler, so I speak about him a lot. Got a lot of people who who follow me that I talk about with John Moxley. So, you know, drafting out like what am I going to say? How do I summarize John Moxley's title reign in one thing? And then I like see this tweet come up um, that's like saying something like Punk just called hangman page a fucking dumb whatever he said and, and, he's, and he's going off and i was like fuck. what is this is this like a parody and and so i was like oh let's check out this thing and i watched and i was transfixed 
fixed. I was like frozen in my spot by like the most wild meltdown I have seen like publicly in any sport. The the thing I would liken it to, and I don't know if anyone out there else follows cycling, but there was this, mm. there was this. So in the Tour de France, there was this moment on the most famous stage they've got, one of the most famous stages they've got called Mont Ventoux. And it's it's already like a legendary mountain that they cycle up as part of it. And back in the 60s, like a guy who, um, who when they were still cycling, like, you know, high on speed and, and alcohol to like try and go there, a guy literally died on the slopes, cycling on the slopes. So wow. it's like this legendary mountain that's got this fearsome reputation. Anyway, you're watching the, the end... And the the breakaway that's win that you know with one person who's winning it goes across the line and then it cuts back. And for those of you who don't know, cycling is really kind of chaotic. It's a real sport of the people, and the people really line the line the roads. And you'll get like it's basically single file for the cyclists as they go up there. And it cuts back to the group, the yellow jersey group, which is the group of the overall leader. And it cuts back, and he's fucking running. Like, there's just chaos all around him. And instead of being on his bike, he's running up the hill. And it's just like, what the fuck happened? Why is this guy running in a bike race? And then he gets on and, and turns out he crashed or he crashed into one of the one of the spectators and his bike was damaged. And because he's the leader and he doesn't want to, like, lose, he starts running. And then this <laughs> car comes up behind him, the support car, gives him like a spare bike and it's too small for him. He's a really tall dude. He looks like he's like on a monkey bike trying to cycle up this fucking hill and it's just complete chaos. That's what this press conference felt like. It just like the most, I was slammed into a different world and I was like, what is this guy doing? Like Sam Punk is one of the great orators. Say what you like about him as a person, like as a promo in the ring, he is one of the greats on the mic of this industry. And he just melted down. He went absolutely bananas. The stuff he was saying was ridiculous. He was hypocritical. He acted like a complete tool. He burnt, like, he burnt the stories that, like, all of the the future stories of the company. He, yeah, he, the, the level of disrespect that he showed to not just the owner of the business who was sitting next to him, but the people who founded the business, former mm-hmm. champions of the business, the former people mm-hmm. who held the title that he was supposedly the champion of. Like, it was flabbergasted. Like, it was absolutely mind-blowing. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, man. I I, I, I struggled to come up with a comparison uh, with a major American sport. I mean, some people will say the Allen Iverson practice rant. But, like, that wasn't a meltdown as much as that was a misunderstanding. Um, like, and I I question how much of it was a meltdown because there are people who... It was pre, pre-ordered. Like, it turns out he, he like... He planned on saying it. He planned yeah. on saying it. No one even asked him a question, and he just went into this unhinged rant about about um, Colt Cabana. By the way, um, I gave you a little context of this through uh, our chat, but um, Nick Houseman, who is the... Um, Managing editor of uh, WrestlingInc.com. He used to be at WrestleZone.com. I mm. believe Nick it lives is from and and or lives in Chicago. When the CM Punk and Coca Bennett trial was happening with uh, Chris Aman, uh, Doctor Chris Aman, 
um, stemming from that podcast that he did, the podcast. Uh, Nick was there every day covering the the, the trial, mm. and Nick is very familiar, and I would often I would venture to say friendly with both people. Mm. Um, and if you watch some of his videos from that year when he's interviewing them, you can see that. I mean, you know, because they know each other, which is why when when they started with Nick, Punk was like in his mind he thought gotcha bitch because he wanted to make a point about Cole Cabana, a.k.a., mm. as he said so dastardly, Scott Colton. And that's why he was the... You can actually listen to him say... He asked um, if he was, if Nick and Scott Colton was, were still friends. However he went about it, yeah. Nick was like, no, nah, I, don't, I don't really see how that was the guy. We don't have a relationship anymore. And Punk audibly says, well, damn, that takes a win out of my sales. Like, because he was trying to make an example... It Nick. was mental. He kept on going back to them as well. Like someone had asked a different question and he would like br- try and bring it back to, to this rant that he was having about not just Colt Cabana, but the the stuff about the elite and the company yep. and the people in the company, which yep. is just re- like absolutely ridiculous. Like the guy was there. Just the the height of disrespect was was abs- for someone who's, you know, followed the company. I was steaming in my sitting there watching it because he was acting like he started this thing. Like, and he, what actually happened was he chose not to be part of it when it started. He turned up after the hardest part had been done. Like Mm -hmm. it was a risk Mm -hmm. for him coming back to wrestling because he, to be fair to him, he only gets to do that once. He only gets to to come back to wrestling once uh, in, and, and he, died a martyr in the WWE with a lot of support from, from certain fans, myself included, um, and, and people who held him in reverence. Uh, and that was shown when he came back. Like, the reception he got was was overwhelming. And for the oh, most yeah. part in ring, he delivered. But he sat there and he acted like he was the person who started this company. When, the, in actual fact, the people who took risks was the elite, it was Chris Jericho, all of whom like knocked back guaranteed seven-figure contracts with the WWE. The elite got offered creative control in the WWE. In Vince McMahon's WWE, they got the greatest offered, contract ever offered in wrestling history. And they said no because they wanted to create something different. They wanted to create something that was in their vision, that was in their image. The risk was taken, true risk was taken by like John Moxley, MJF, Hangman Page, the Lucha Brothers, people who like bought into that instead mm-hmm. of taking those WWE contracts. They're the ones who signed up when there wasn't even a TV deal in place. Like they, if they, this could have all fallen flat on its face in a year uh, and they would have had to go back to the WWE with their tails between their legs, um, all of their leverage gone all of it ruined and they wouldn't have had any recourse and cm punk came in after all that had been done after AEW had sold out arena after arena after they'd sold 100k pay-per-views after they'd outlasted the pandemic after they'd beaten nxt after they'd beaten raw in the demo and he had the fucking temerity to say they hadn't done anything in the business um and like like i don't know what happened between him and colt cabana 
I, I really don't know what happened between him and Colt Cabana. And so, like, I'm loath to speak to, like, the personal issues they had. But he fucking hung him out to dry as well. Like, he brought up that he has a bank account with his mama. How bloody, <laughs> like, how fucking low is that to do that in public? And all of, like, obviously he had issues, but all of it should have been addressed behind the scenes. And the irony of it is that the thing that set him off was the fact that Hangman Page had like a throwaway line that went over 99% of people's heads, went over my head. Like I watched yeah. this as close as anyone and it went over my head what he was talking yeah. about. And and yet this is the thing that set CM Punk off saying like, oh, how dare he be so unprofessional? And he goes on to have this rant in front of everyone, hanging everyone out to dry. And you know what? He put the elite in a position where like they had to confront him that night because he basically well, don't get to the conversation don't get to the conversation yet. Don't but get he there yet. put them in that position. Yeah, like, yeah. By, by the things he said, like if they hadn't confronted him to at least have a discussion, fucking all respect is lost at that point because oh, of yeah. the way, like how intensely he hung them out to dry and how nuclear he went. Hypocrite. Fuck him. Anyway. <laughs> well then. That's how I really feel. <laughs> As a person. Great, great wrestler as a person. What a fucking shithead. I just want to tell you, uh, by the way, I can't follow that. <laughs> that was a, I, you said it better than I could have said it. Um, you were starting to allude to some things that I want to kind of touch on a little bit in a, in a little bit. But I do want to kind of kind of expound on some of the stuff you were saying and kind of point to some of CM Punk's issues and criticisms and why I think me and you, of course, who uh, think they were so dangerous uh, for the company because you spoke about how he was trashing the elite, um, specifically Kenny, the Bucks, Kenny and the Bucks in particular, Hangman's a separate situation, um, but they're EVPs. And so depending, I don't trust wrestling journalism as a as a whole <laughs> but there are a certain few that i i trust there i trust because by and large they have shown themselves to be if not fairly reputable the the least the wrestlers themselves acknowledge them if you will right mm. so like i hate melser but melser has his own cacophony big word there of <laughs> wrestlers who speak to him Sean Ross Sapp is like the, <laughs> the elite being the, chief amongst the ones that Meltzer can speak to. <laughs> well, so by the way, I'm glad you said that because so let's talk about where all of this uh, discord started. Mm. If we're speaking from a timeline in terms of uh, backstage rumors that I think I'm comfortable enough speaking on air about that are verified, right? Yeah. Um, first and foremost, Cole Cabana went to Tony Khan when Punk got signed and debuted and told Tony, I'm not comfortable with this. This isn't going to, we're, we're going to have problems. I'm just not comfortable mm. right now. Fast forward. Tony was not only going to fire Colt, Colt was basically fired and the Bucks stepped in and we're like, hey, wait a minute, we can't, we can't fire this dude. He's too important to the locker room. What will that, you know, what do you think that'll show 
what this, that, and the other, which is the reason why Colt was held off TV for however long and that he was eventually sent to Ring of Honor. Now, Colt Cabana is loved in that AEW locker room, mm. as he is in most every locker Luckily room he's ever so. been in. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's, he's, he is a locker room guy, right? Mm. Um, now, CM Punk is under the impression that the Young Bucks went to Meltzer to tell them, to tell him uh, that CM Punk was behind Colt and, and his, mm. I'm going to call it demotion to Ring of Honor. Now, Punk swears he had nothing to do with it. And he may not have, but Tony was going to do anything he could to protect mm. the Golden Goose. Yeah. And um, no I believe other, that. I believe that Punk probably didn't directly have any have any have anything to do with it. You know, like at that press conference where he was letting it all hang out. Yeah. I believe him. I like I believe he he thinks everything he said was true. And yeah. one of the things he said is I don't I don't care where this man works, lives or or drinks or whatever. Yeah. He you know, I just don't want him to be doing it around me. Yeah. Um Agreed. and so I don't necessarily think he directly did, but undoubtedly like indirectly tony khan is clearly a, a fan of sam punk and for good reason like the guy did great business for the company and colt cabana is like at best a you know someone who fills in every now and again like at and which which is not fair which like to the legacy of aew and like the spirit of what i feel like aew should have been Cole Cabana should be part of it because he is, you know, like the Young Bucks, is one of those indie guys that forged a pathway in the team in the, you know, in the 2010s that meant yeah. that people could have a career in wrestling outside of WWE if they were willing to go the grind. And Colt Cabana was part of forging that pathway. Uh, and and that's why I love that he was part of AEW, even if he wasn't, you know, a featured star on it or, you know, anyone who was going to be like a main eventer or a champion uh, sure. at any point. But I can understand him like indirectly being let go because of Punk, because it's everyone knows what happened. Like you know, those two had a very public falling out. They sued each other. Everyone knows what happened, and so I can understand Tony just you know seeing you know that you know Colt's not happy, even though you know they've like re they did wrestle on the same shows in the in in the late in late 2021 um there yep. were shows where colton and punk wrestled on the same shows i could see tony seeing the way the wind's blowing and, and you know like just saying oh, whatever i'm gonna you know this guy isn't this big of a deal to me and he's potentially you know upsetting my my prize star right now so we're gonna you know i'm gonna get rid of him like indirectly punk's led to that Cabana has not nor ever will affect the business of a major wrestling company. And that's no slight on the man. But Colt Cabana is absolutely one of the people that is that is integral to a locker room. Mm. Every locker room needs a guy like a Colt Cabana. And yeah. We, we, too often we as wrestling fans think that we need a, we, everybody has to be a Roman Reigns or a John Moxley or, or a Kazuchika Okada. No, you need more Colt, Scott Coltons and Colt, you need more Colt mm. Cabanas then, and, and Brandon Cutler's and Peter Avalon's, then you do Roman Reigns. Because mm. there's got, everybody can't win. There has to be somebody that's willing to go out there, give a great performance, take the pin, 
But more mm. importantly, that's willing to keep that to 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 be the guy in the locker room that keeps people together and keeps things alight and helps things move around. That's so he 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 held an important role. And I believe I could be wrong, but I believe he was starting to do things for the company. Um kind of like a dual role almost to a certain extent. Um, but so that's where that discord started between mm. Punk and the Bucks because Punk was under that impression. Meltzer has been on the record of saying that, whether you believe him or not, that one, the Bucks didn't tell him that. Two, you would have to be an idiot to if you know about their history mm. to not put two and two together. Colts not on TV anymore. Punk's mm. here. There's clearly a separation. And three, he feels bad that he didn't reach out to Punk and tell Punk directly that Bucks had nothing to do with mm. that. Because he knew of the growing discord. Yeah. Um, also, um, there was criticism the way Tony handled that because with the Bucks having to step in, that locker room loves Cole Cabana. And as we're starting mm. to learn now, it wasn't just a storyline with Eddie Kingston and Hangman Page and everybody else. Mm. CM Punk was not loved in the locker room. Was he no. appreciated? Yes. But was he loved unilaterally? No. You got your guys like FTR who swear by the man. Cool. But there was more people in the locker room who were souring or down on Punk than there were believers of Punk. And so that caused a big issue in mm. the locker room. Let's go further to get into the hangman. And you can pace. say yeah. you can see factions forming, like you've got yes. FTR and Punk sitting on one side. You know, I can see FTR, Dax, Dax Harwood, you know, sitting there with Punk, being like, you know, screw these young guys, they don't pay any attention to us, they don't respect us. You know, the young Bucks, Kenny Omega, they don't, you know, we we know what wrestling is. Our vision for wrestling is better than theirs. And then you've got, you know, the elite, Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks, like a lot of people in AEW, owe their jobs to the Young Bucks and their connections they form with the Young Bucks, um, yep. you know, as as they toured across the Indies. And, like, a lot of the initial roster was brought in from, from Southern California because they were people that the elite knew from wrestling around there. And so you can see, like, these factions forming, and Tony Khan did not do a good job at handling that. No, he he didn't, and you want to give him a pass because he's new to this, but you can't put yourself out on the limbs he's put yourself out on and then make the mistakes that he's seemingly made. We'll touch on that more again, uh, just in a minute. But um, to add to the growing discord, you actually brought up a point I forgot to mention. Um... People like the Young Bucks and Hangman Page, Kenny Omega, and a lot of the younger talent in that company has gotten to the point they are by, right or wrong, kind of shunning the advice Mm. of the veterans and doing things the way they thought they needed to do. Mm. And Punk was adamant of telling a lot of the younger talent, you're doing it wrong. Do it the way I think you should do it. This is how you should do things. And a lot of the talent, younger talent, was like, no, I didn't get here by by doing that. I got here mm. by doing things the way I, that I that I want to do them. Now that's another conversation for another podcast. Whether that that ideal is correct or good or whatnot, that's another conversation. But that led to growing discord with the locker room. 
Yeah, but who's the guy that's saying that? Like CM Punk sitting out in his press conference and saying, they don't take advice from veterans like me. What do you think Sam Punk was like in WWE when uh, sh- when Triple H and Shawn Michaels came to sit with him and and when the Undertaker like wanted to to give him some advice? Do you think he like took that advice? Do you think he like you know maybe he, li- he listened to Paul Heyman, but he he certainly didn't listen to those guys. And <laughs> Heyman was his friend, of course, but this was yeah. friend. Yeah, and you know that's like like because because that's one of the things he said about Hangman, like he's a fucking dumb shit that doesn't know shit and and you know doesn't respect me or whatever when i've offered him advice like who does hangman page take advice from he takes advice from kenny omega and the young bucks and it's worked out pretty damn well for him because he can see you know what those guys have achieved and he is close with those guys he respects those guys and you know like they're the people that he gets his advice from rightly or wrongly I'm 100%. By the way, quick tangent. One of my favorite CM Punk negative stories from the WWE was when Punk was champion one of the times. Um, Undertaker laid into him because he was walking around doing appearances wearing like wrinkly shirts and jeans mm-hmm. where you see Cena going to all these appearances, if not in full gear, three-piece suit. And Taker mm. was like, you got to carry yourself like a champion. And Punk took umbrage to that. Mm. Fast forward, the irony is striking. Um, so let's talk about Hangman. Um, the Hangman issue came, uh, started, part of all, number one, he took umbrage to the fact that Cabana was basically gone and he attributed it to Punk. Two, Hangman's the guy who doesn't like to take, as you spoke about, doesn't like to mm. take advice. But three, Punk was ardent talking to Tony, saying that uh, Hangman's as champion is not great for business. Mm. Uh, that's part of when you mentioned that, you know, he said that uh, Punk mentioned in the, in the press conference rant that uh, I'm trying to run a business here. And he almost ruined the first million dollar gate of this company because he's of the belief that Hangman is not good for business, which all three of those things led to that promo that punk that a uh, hangman cut where he said um one he said you talk about workers rights but uh I, man I, I god i wish i knew the exact rhetoric but he said you talk about workers rights but you don't care about anybody in this locker room but yourself or something to that order and the last part um i, I for the first time in my life i'm not defending this aw world championship against you Mm. I'm I'm defending AEW all the wrestling from you. Punk took major offense to those things. Now the thing that is laughable to me, and I thought to you, is if Punk calls himself such a man and manly, manly man, and I do what's right, if you had a problem with that, you could have handled it that day. You could have handled it right after when you got back backstage. Mm. You could have handled it any of the other weeks you were there with him. You could have handled it before y'all had a world title match at pay-per-view mm. or any other any of the other weeks y'all were in the same locker room before you got injured. But instead, you wait till you come back and Hangman isn't even in the goddamn building to call him out. That is the most bitch-made situation mm. I've ever heard in my life. If you really got a problem with that dude, you're cutting a promo with him live on TV. 
Cool. Mm. You can't do anything on TV about it. I I feel you. Backstage, hey man, we got We got to handle this right now. I right, cool. Well, apparently, at the time they did. Uh, it was said that they had like a, a very heated closed door closed door discussion with Tony Khan, and and both parties left. Um, you know, resolving they'd work together and be professional, and they did. They did the work. They like they did a match at, at double or nothing, which was a decent match. They worked well together, and and uh, Hangman ultimately lost to Punk. And you know what? It was probably the right move. I didn't like it because I thought Hangman was having a great run. I'm a big fan of Hangman, and I didn't love the idea of Punk being champion in the company. Um, simply because I it felt like a backward step when the company had sort of moved forward uh, to to Hangman Page. But I get the you know the perception is that. Punk is a business draw, whereas, you know, and the biggest one in the company. So they need to get, they, they want to put it on him to like maximize the impact he would have because he's not young. He's got plenty. He doesn't have much time. You know, Hangman's got plenty of time. I understand why they made that decision, but, you know, then he gets injured and CM Punk, you know, uh, a guy who, you know, famously just lets little remarks and grudges drift away like they're nothing. No, no. He's sitting at home like he is letting this little one remark that that's hangman page done just fester. And then what's the first thing he does when he gets back and he's got a microphone in his hand, he sells ironically enough. He, he accuses hangman page before of going into business for himself. What does he do? He goes into business for himself, um, makes hangman page look weak. Thankfully we live in an era where it's, you know, people kind of know what's going on. They're like, you know, that that's shit. That's a shitty look. We, you know, everyone's quickly found out what happened, what that was in retaliation for. And I guess it's like, at that point, it should have been like, well, this is 1-1. One, one. We've both had, you know, we've both had a shot. We've probably, you know, neither of us probably should have done that. Because you know what? Hangman probably shouldn't have done what he did. He was, he's probably in the right, but he probably shouldn't have done that out in public without Punk knowing on live TV. I can understand Punk's fr- frustration at that, um, even though it went over most people's heads. And that's just me being charitable to Punk, right? Punk's yeah. return serve was far harsher, far more blatant, um, and, and far more designed to have like a very negative effect um, on Hangman Page. And then, <laughs> so we're even, right? At this point, it should be like, okay, bygones be bygones. Let's just forget it's ever happened and, and move on with ourselves. But then in this press conference, like, what the escalation is insane and what a hypocrite like you talk about jeopardizing the you know jeopardizing potential programs mjf has literally just come back as the devil so clearly he's not meant to be the face in this and cm punk is is talking in a way that is making himself a heel to the audience there's no way if he come we don't know if he's going to come back, but if they, if he comes back, there is no way he can be a face again in AEW. There'll be certain parts of the audience, myself included, who like, you know, I'm not exactly going to start a Colt Cabana chant at him, but, you know, if it starts, I'm definitely going along with it. Like, he is, he is a heel now in that company by his actions in that press conference. And he was meant to be this baby face against the devil. Like, it's not like, even though people are cheering for MJF, it's not like, 
He's he not, was he's meant not a to be. Person. Yeah, he's not yeah. meant to be the face in this program, and yet Sam Punk is, you know, going into business for himself, completely jeopardizing that program, completely jeopardizing this big angle for MJF, who is the company's biggest potential star. That this angle they planned for months, uh, and then you know, caught in the the crossfire is Hangman Adam Page, um, who. You know, is also he's still one of the company's biggest faces, and he, you know, he was just in this tournament of champions that they had. So they clearly still, you know, want him to be someone who is held up in the highest regard. You know, if this guy's problem is going into business for yourself, like he has just completely (laughs) stepped over his own mark by a mile, and that's the thing with CM Punk, like. And, and Phil Brooks that we've learned. Um, and, you know, lots of people learned this before I did. Uh, and, and lots of people called this out before, before I did from when he did this in WWE, like what he cares about is himself. Um, he's not a principled person. He is someone who, who, what matters to him is what, how people treat him um, and, and how he feels, not, you know, values and principles that he holds to a higher regard. So, so, man, look that, that that whole thing that this situation pissed me the most off about what he said in the press conference because the other stuff was just completely ridiculous. But it was an old man ranting. But this mm. stuff had this stuff bothered me because I can understand his anger with Cocabana. He went too far, mm. but you can understand that. There's two friends yeah. that have a personal issue. I can understand his disdain with the elite. He's wrong, but you know what? You, you were the guy that defended World Times of WrestleMania. You work for the big company. You think you know what's better than them. Cool. You're wrong, but you you have every right to have believe what you want to mm-hmm. believe. But the thing with Hangman Page pisses me off in so many for so many reasons. Let me tell you why. Number one, I didn't know that they tried to hash it out. That Tony brought them in and they had the meeting and mm-hmm. maybe there was no hey we're best friends again. But like, it's out. Cool. Do business, whatever. Mm. So for him to come back months later and blindside him with that is even more bitch made than it was before, number one. Mm. Number two, you said that both were wrong, whatever, cool. AW notoriously is a company that does not script their talent. So mm. how can you go off script if it's not a script? They go out there and they cut the promo that they think is best. Punk does it all the time. So, and every single punk feud, with the exception of Darby, has involved him, the the punk's antagonist, Mm. going at punk about you're not who you say you are, the locker room doesn't want you here, all this. So for you to be angry at that, when that's been the storyline that's been followed Mm. this entire time, is beyond hypocritical, more so. If you have qualms with the workers' rights comment, which you've said ad nauseum today, nobody caught. Nobody caught but you. MJF did it even more worse. Mm. MJF yep. called, like, talked about Coca Banda and situation even more heavy handed than, than, than uh, Hangman did. So the, the, the audacity, the unmitigated gall of Phil Brooks. To do to do these things and say this about this one dude is beyond me. That's the that's the most damning of everything he did. Uh, well, that besides like 
disrespecting the owner of the company to his fucking face. Disrespect, disrespecting the entire company. One of the messages in his promo was that I don't respect what you guys have done in W in in AEW. I what? I only what? respect people who've done stuff in WWE. That was the underlying message. You, these guys have done nothing. Like Kenny Omega sold forty thousand tickets in the Tokyo Dome. No, that's he's done nothing. Like the, the greatest, the greatest accomplishment. In non WWE wrestling history is all in. Yeah, not they were not in. Those of you listening, spoiler: it was a Ring of Honor branded pay per view. They'll never admit it, but it was because Ring of Honor paid for the show. Ring of Honor had the rights to the show. Ring of Honor mm. gave the crew. But besides the vision that, was the elite. The vision was the elite. Everything else was the elites. They booked. They mm. built the house. They did 100% of the marketing. Everything besides li- the literal um, ring and setup and mm. crew was Cody, Nick, Matt, and Kenny. Everything about it was. Mm. And for them to sell 10,000 seats without a, without a formal company, mm. and it, 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 it hadn't been done since 2001. That's the great, even more than AEW, that's the greatest accomplishment in modern wrestling history. Mm. And I, I will die on that sword. So yeah, mm. the, that is just disrespect. We've gone past disrespectful now. Like, like you mm. said, he got to get these hands, bro. Like, yeah, like, like he me, he put the elite in a position where they had to address it that night, that moment. Like, I, I like when I heard that there had been a fight, I was like, yeah, that that makes sense. I wonder who started. <laughs> like. Like, yeah. What it reminded me of, like what it reminded me of, and this is even if you take, if you take, because there's since been, you know, varying takes come out of this fight um, that happened, you know, varying from, you know, the young bucks meekly knocking on the door and and being confronted by CM Punk, like wildly swinging at them, and Kenny Omega like saves a saves a dog from a burning building while. <laughs> You know, there's that too, like the idea that the Young Bucks yelled out super kick party and literally kicked down the door to confront like CM Punk, who's cowering behind Ace Steel's wife and um, and and Larry the dog. And, you know, some somehow in there, Ace (laughs) Ace Steel bites Kenny Omega. That's like the one constant in all of them is that somehow like this man's bitten Kenny Omega. Um, But like. What this reminds me of is I, I had a footy game once, like rugby. Um, rugby is a really physical sport, mm-hmm. and it's ongoing. And and me and the the guy who was in the opposing position for the British guys out there who who know rugby, we're both flankers. So it's like you're the first person to the tackle in most situations, and we're going at each other all game, and we're niggling each other. And he's like, he's just pushing me, pushing me, pushing me. And and then he holds me down at one ruck. He like pushes my head into the my like my face into the ground. And I like at that point I was like, I don't care that I know I'm about to get sent off. Um, because like what's happened up to this point, I'm not gonna let it go. Uh and I knew I know that it's wrong that this is what's gonna happen, but we're about to we're about to throw hands, and that's what happened. And we both got sent off and we both got suspended. But it had got to a point where I was just like this is the this is just where it's gonna this is what this is what's gonna happen now, um because we're at that point. Um, so it I can understand it seeing red and it ended up ending up in that case. And you know what, like the elite 
probably they should have probably you know let <clears throat> taken the high they should have taken the high ground. Tony Khan deserves blame in in all of this because you know he didn't take control of the situation he should have as the owner of the company before any of this happened and then during it during the press conference I can kind of understand him not wanting to interrupt for fear that like he would make the situation worse but you know he let it, a situation get to the point where this happened but like the only reason that it got to this point was because one man decided he wanted to have his say come hell or high water, regardless of the consequences, regardless of what would happen. Um, and that was Phil Brooks. Um, and it was so grossly unprofessional. Uh, I think he deserves to be fired. I think Tony will probably try and keep him on because well, he but- he he's, he's potentially a business draw, I guess. And, you know, when Kenny Omega and Sam Punk have a one-on-one match, I'm sure it will, will do business if they do have a one-on-one match. If they can get in the same ring together, if they can get on the same page, and I don't know if that's possible, but he should be fired. Even before throwing hands happened and, and a fight broke out, he should have been fired for what happened in that press conference. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, and so let's 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 transition to Tony Khan and his situation because I want to talk about kind of his reaction and, and where kind of his role in all this and where things go from here from his perspective. You say that he you say that you think Punk should be fired and you alluded to the fight. Um, what we know now is that there are there's a pending investigation to figure out exactly what happened because there's also pending litigation. Mm. Now, um, the irony of all this is that whether you believe the story that the Bucks brought them or not. Christopher Daniels, who is, I believe, the head of HR or the head of talent yep. relations. Yeah, right. And Mega Parik, who is the chief legal officer and essentially mm. the number two in the company, mm. were there. And whether you believe the side that says the Bucks brought them so that it, they could have, granted, a heated discussion, but at least pr- professionally. Yeah. Or they just happened to be there watching it. Mm. They were there. Um so surely surely someone's got this on camera like enough of them got freaking vlogs like i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure when sam punk and the young bucks start throwing hands that's not when you turn the camera off right (laughs) brandon cutler was there like surely surely there's like something ready for bte one day (laughs) bro i haven't watched bte in months i watched it the second it dropped because i was like i gotta see something um but yeah and and there, I, I would venture to think that there is footage, but again, legal matters. And the legality of it could possibly be wrongful termination or uh, an assault or uh, yeah. assault or battery charge. There's a lot of things yeah. that could be I mean, going like on. I mean, like a chair right got thrown. <laughs> well, and, and like you said, there are a few things that I think both sides have, or the rhetoric on both sides have agreed upon. And that is that the Young Bucks open the door to his locker room and that, you know, Punk's side is of the belief that they were fighting and Punk is through the first punch. That's again, Mm. we know it to be fact. Uh, But Punk's side apparently is of the belief that they started fighting because they felt threatened because so many Mm. people came in the room. Yeah. So now we're in a situation now where all of this happened. But on top of that, 
CM Punk is your world champion, so clearly the company believed in him enough to give him the title that night. He injured himself in that match. So now you can't fire him while he's hurt because mm. that's you can definitely sue for wrongful termination here in the States, mm. our judicial system. Um, the whole situation with A Steel is up in the air because you have to be able to prove that what he did wasn't provoked. Mm. There's so many different legalities going going on here that Tony's almost hamstrung, which is mm. while I hate it that he didn't address everything the way he should have Wednesday, I understood why. The only mm. qualm I have with him on Wednesday, and this is neither here nor there, was that he wasn't man enough to do it in front of the crowd. Mm. I thought I thought that was weak. He just did a a a, a, a pre-recorded whatever. Yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> he's he's shit on the mic, so it's probably best he does a pre-record. That was the best. That, that was the best mic piece he's ever done. And You're you right. know what? I think it's because it's pre-recorded, and he could take as many takes as he wanted. He was reading. There's no weird voice, and no. <laughs> if you saw his eyes, he like he, it was yeah. written down. He was reading a yeah. teleprompter. Hey, he's not an on like he's not an on-screen talent. And to be frank, I'm glad he's not. Like, yeah. I, there's been enough. We've seen enough. Um, like anonymous GMs and stuff like that, and very random GMs. But more to the, like to the broader point. You know what really sucks about this? And this is from like from the heart of a true believer in AEW, like. One of the things about AEW, and this is like one of the things that really hit me with John Moxley's speech. And by the way, like how this is how shit CM Punk is. John Moxley, who like has a side hustle doing death matches, like he is now like a statesman of <laughs> in the industry. This is how, like, that's how shit CM Punk is. <laughs> anyway, like AEW was meant to be like, we're going to. We're going to do wrestling a different way. What was the joke? It was all friends wrestling. And you know what? That was something that people said to make a mockery. But I love the fact that they wanted to create a locker room that wasn't full of, like, shitty backstage politics. Because you know what? I think I think the shitty backstage politics of wrestling are stupid. Um, and I don't – like, I understand why the Young Bucks didn't want them to be part of because the Young Bucks fell afoul of that stuff and they thought it was stupid. And so they wanted to create a locker room that was more harmonious, that was that didn't have the politics and didn't have the clickiness. And it like that's that was part of the sadness of not just I mean, this weekend was just like seeing that that was that that vision was completely dead. But the last month or so where like these stories have come out about not just these guys, but like the women's division with Britain, Thunder Rosa and the Sammy and Eddie stuff. And like, that's this, this wasn't meant to be what it was like. Um, you know, this was meant to be a locker room that was better. And that was one of the things that John Moxley said that got to me. Like, yeah, AEW was meant to represent the vision that the dark things in this industry could die with another generation. And like, what what's happening on all out like the most important people in this company the founders of this company end up in a backstage fight and end up getting suspended after winning a championship and then they've all got it the champion and the trios champions have got to get it stripped like it's the it's pro wrestling in its ugliness and there's some people who love that like that part of pro wrestling is back but someone who as someone who like 
love the vision of AEW, it's freaking sad, man. And that's one of the reasons I'm so angry at Punk because, like, it's clear that his, like, him and his influence, as good as he is in the ring, like, his influence backstage is is, is one of the big contributing factors to what's happened. Oh, yeah, 100%. The other biggest, I think we both agree, is Tony Khan. And so I, I want to ask you, what do you think we know? So he's, we, the investigation's pending. The, the All of the parties who were involved were suspended pending the investigation. Mm. And the trio's title and the world title were stripped. What do you think of his response to what happened? What do you think uh, he should have done differently? And what do you think he does going forward? Yeah, look, well, I liked his response, honestly. Like, it felt mm. on Wednesday, like, it felt like a dark cloud had lifted from the company. Almost um, like a reset, huh? Yeah, it felt like that. And, I mean, a big part of that was the interactions we saw with MJF and John Moxley. Like, that is, you know, MJF coming out and just being this shithead, you know, pretending to be like, you know, the I'm going to be the future leader and John Moxley comes out and he can see straight through it and then cuts like this this promo that I cannot stop thinking about. Like if John Moxley is not the talker of the year, people have gone absolutely insane. It's one of the great promos you'll ever see because he had to hit a home run. Like everything was on him to to bring the company forward. He had to acknowledge what had happened, bring the company forward, and he's coming in at a loser. Like he lost on the weekend, yeah. Um, and and he has to maintain the integrity of of the AEW Championship, and that's been a championship that has been held in a high regard and booked um, to match that, and something that he's held in a high regard as the champion. Um, you know, he had a needle to thread, and he fucking nailed it. And it was such a good promo, such an emotive promo, and you could see like the wrestlers and the talent were like behind it because on stage and then, you know, you've got best friends and the Lucha bros coming out and they had a pep in their step like they hadn't before. And I like the idea of this tournament. Like, you know, it's a joke that they do run tournaments a lot and they do. It is a bit of a booking crutch, but in this circumstance, what it does is it, it, it maintains the integrity of the championship as, you know, this is something that is for the best of the best. And so we're putting together a tournament that is based on who the best of the best are, you know, Sammy and Darby who have had incredible TNT runs. Mm -hmm. They're rewarded with a place in, with this, in this championship um, tournament, John Moxley, obviously said he's the, the first two time champion. He's just, just carried the championship in great fashion. Chris Jericho, the inaugural champion, hangman page, previous champion who who had a really strong run and and brian danielson who you know is someone who no one's going to question he's brian he's, danielson yeah he's brian danielson like and i love that i love that that's how they've decided to to go ahead with it what happens backstage as i said like i i think they should fire cm punk because as you know as much even if he is the business draw that he thinks he is um, and I don't think he is as good as he thinks he is. He, in his mind, he is the sole reason that they are as successful as they are. But look at the ratings, like, they haven't even beat, like, Sam Punk's first dance. It didn't beat the original Dynamite rating. 
like the from the that's very first good, dynamite that's a good ass you know point. like he he did bring people along but like if you think about how much the what the ratings were pre-sam punk and post-sam punk it's like a couple of hundred thousand maybe at being charitable to punk like it's you know he i don't think he is the business mover that he thinks he is even if he is the top draw like even if he is the single catalyst like a catalyst for the single biggest things they have done which is you know the all-out pay-per-view where they they sold two hundred thousand. um but you know leading up to that they had momentum coming out of Double or Nothing, which was a record number of pay for pay per view sales for them. Um, Double or Nothing twenty twenty one. Even if he is that, I think he should be fired for what he did in that press conference, regardless of what happened in the fight, which is a, just a shitstorm. Um, yeah. and it, but there's there's no way that you can look at that situation and like I think they need to make an example of Sam Punk, where it's like Agreed. no one is bigger than the company. Agreed doesn't matter what you are and that's why it was good that they suspended the elite as well even though like it was really sad to me that the elite got this trios championship which was just made for them and kenny omega literally just re just returned not you guys even though you're the founders you're not bigger than this company um and this company stands for more and that's why i think sam punk should be fired um Okay. Maybe he'll just get suspended uh, because there is the potential. There's always the potential for more money, I guess. And this business is as it is. It's the wrestling business, not the wrestling friendship. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think he should be fired. I don't see any way that CM Punk comes back to the company in a, in an active capacity. I think what Tony will do, mm. especially after the investigation is finished. Is continue to pay CM Punk for maybe a year or so, let him finish rehab, get mm. pay all of that since he was hurt on the job. Yeah, and then and then slowly, quietly, mm. he'll leave the company. And, um, and what is it? In his own words, if he does come back, the apology needs to be as public and to the same level of disrespect that has been delivered. Amen. Like in his own words. Hey. <laughs> They call what kind of apology? Like, is he going to be kissing someone's ass on TV? <laughs> <laughs> no, see, and that's that's the irony of all of this. He'll quit before he has to do that yeah. shit because, oh, as we know, yeah. Punk is a guy who has no qualms with walking out. We know yeah. this. Mm. Um, so let me let me give my response to the Tony Khan question. So first off, I want to address the tournament issue because. Yes, it's, it is a reoccurring joke that the oodles and oodles of tournaments AW have is a bit and funny. oodles and oodles of belts. <laughs> well, God, that that's a, again another podcast we could do. Um, I don't have a qualm with I don't have qualms with the tournament. I I number one and uh, American football fans can understand this. I hate the concept of buys in tournaments. I just think it's I think it kills the point. I think it completely kills. The, because who who said those two people deserve the right to do it? And I can respect Moxley. Mm. I can. Yeah. But like, oh, you have a whole ranking system. Is that being involved? Number one. Number two, tournament of champions. You explained the Darby and the semi thing perfectly. I get it too. Wardlow isn't in this. Why isn't he in this? He's the current TNT champion, and last I checked, has lost one match. Mm. Two, Scorpio Same. Sky. 
He was TNT champion. Also, he was the first tag team champion. Mm. Why is he not involved in this? Miro. Why is MJF not Miro? Why is MJF not involved? And he got the damn chip. So, like, that's the problem I have with the tournaments that Tony Well, makes. MJ, to be fair, MJF explained that he doesn't want to go in the tournament because he's about working smarter, not harder. He doesn't want to be. Yeah. But we know the guy that's books true. the he show. Yeah. He doesn't Fair have cool. a choice. Cool. Um, yep. and, and again, I, like the MJF not being in it, I get it. Like mm. in wrestling parlance, I'm I'm fine with MJF not being in it. Mm. I'm just saying that's my qualm with yeah. the way he books tournaments mm. is it is so convoluted the way he chooses them or picks them like the interim tournament the first time. You should have just made it Moxley versus Tanahashi. Yeah, that was confusing. Instead of having this this random-ass battle royal, and then the winner of the battle royal got to fight Moxley in the first place, if you're going to give him the bye, give him the title shot. Hmm. So, like, that's yeah. my qualm with the tournament issue. In terms of Tony Khan's issue, and you might want to sit back, because this <laughs> is this is the... if the, I don't want to call it a victory lap, because I don't take any joy in... Hmm any negative negativity or any mm. uh, bad things that's happened to the company. But you and I have had endless amounts of discussions, debates, arguments about the way AEW has been handled or whatnot. And I have had so many criticisms from the beginning and not from a place of um, disdain or uh, I wasn't mm. hating. I just see, I just saw the writings on the wall maybe earlier than most. So number one, I I do not want Kenny and and the Young Bucks to leave the company. They they are important to the. It'd be dope to see them in WWE as a WWE fan, but they <laughs> but they matter to AEW. But they need to be stripped of their titles, of the EVPs, mm. and mm, yeah, not just because of the physical altercation, but I am of the belief that the boys should never book the company. And with the EVPs being current members of the roster, there was always going to be points where those two jobs mixed. This is a case in point way bigger than anybody could have ever imagined, right? Because they're supposed to be corporate entities, right? If Mm. you were to lay out the organizational structure of, let's say, if AEW were to go public, and you were to lay out the organizational structure on the day they went public, Matt Massey, Nick Massey, and Tyson Smith would be listed on that sheet because they are genuine Mm. EVPs of the company. You can't be a current EVP and simultaneously be a guy wrestling in the company. It doesn't work. That's why Cody gave it up. You can't do both. Mm. So I would strip them of that, number one. But number two, Tony did an interview recently where he said the reason why he's, it was with Busted Open, by the way, um, the reason why he is, uh, you know, me, you and I joked before that if you look at his, uh, when he makes announcements, uh, formal announcements, it's like <laughs> president, CEO, general manager, booker, head of creative. Creative head or whatever, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The reason he says he does that is because from what he's learned, the backstage politics of wrestling are so dangerous that people will screw you every chance they get. He's right. The problem is, you don't have the luxury to do it all yourself, dog. No company has ever had that. No company ever has ever had the ability, has ever made it successfully long-term doing that. You have to have a structure in place. Now, mm. you have all these coaches 
And these producers in the company, Arn Anderson, Billy Gunn, Dave Malenko, Jerry Lynn, all these, Tully Blanchard, if he's still around, all these people who were there every week, who clearly none of the roster listens to, that's their job, their middle management, right? If this was a corporate structure, if this was a, uh, a marketing business or a, a retail business, they're the middle management. Mm. If you can't trust them, you should not have them hired. On top of that, you have great legendary minds of the business like Tony Schiavone and, oh, I don't know, a guy who just did this for 30 fucking years, Jim Ross. You need to have a structure in place. And I appreciate the fact that he created a group of talent relations mm. after the, the the debacle of Marco yeah. and Joey Janela and Alan Angels and mm. Stu Grayson and so many big swole, mm. which I'll never forget that situation. Yeah, that these. was that was a turning of the corner moment, wasn't it? <laughs> My God, it was. And he still hasn't. There's no restitution for that yet either. Mm. Um, but I appreciate that he tried that he created this group. But it, I, I agree that the end all be all should be him. I agree with that. But mm. you can't control every aspect of the company anymore, mm. bro. You should have never did it to begin with. And you, this isn't a smaller company that grew. Y'all's first show was on pay-per-view. And mm. y'all got TV before you ever wrestled a, a match for the company. Mm. This is not a small company, brother. This is a, it may not be global yet, but this is a near global, multi-million dollar company. You mm. cannot be the be-all, end-all of everything involved. And yeah. the boys well, can't keep getting these positions. Christopher Daniels, I love Chris Daniels. And I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I love Christopher Daniels. Christopher Daniels is a Hall of Fucking Famer first ballot. There is no, Christopher Daniels didn't go to school for human resources. No. Just like Brandy fucking Rhodes didn't go to school <laughs> for marketing. You shouldn't keep putting these people involved because they're there and you know them. Get mm. a structure, my brother. Like, do things. You work for Fulham. You work for the Jaguars. You are involved in, in fact, you your dad's company you've been involved with. You understand how a structure works. But because mm. this is, because Tony is doing Vince cosplay play, sitting at home, playing with this to toy box. And, and because, again, and I don't use this term derogatorily, mm. as many people do, but he's a mark. He is a fan who mm. just happened to have the means to have his own company. Good on him. Not Again, not a diss. But get out of your mark mode. Get out of fan mode and be the businessman you say you are and treat this shit like a business. Because you're on the verge you're not going to lose this shit. I'm not going to be so flippant as to say the company's in dire straits. But you're mm. on the verge of hurting your company tremendously right now. And if you get some structure in your fucking company, if you get mm. people who know how to do the damn jobs you give them, again, no disrespect to Daniels. He don't know how to mm. fucking run HR. No disrespect to the Bucks. And the only person who's in that structure who's been given the position, who knows what the fuck they're doing, is Dana. She is the hardest on yeah. that fucking company. She's the only person who's <laughs> equipped that. to do the job. Dana Mass is the only person. Yeah. So, so that's 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 just what for, I just think for clarification. Dana Massey runs the merchandising things, and she got that job because she ran the merch for the Young Bucks, who you know 
that's and, fair and enough. The like they're the most successful. The they're the most successful merchandise business outside of the WWE that wrestling's ever seen. Well, I mean, outside of WCW or WWE that wrestling's ever seen. So yeah, outside of a company, because every yes. other merchandise was ran by a company, and the Young Bucks had their own fucking shirts out of their yep. out of out of their fucking backpack, uh, backpack and garage yep. in national stores. Yeah, Dana Massey is the MVP. Yes. Of AEW, <laughs> unquestionably. One so of the ahead, reasons that there is an AEW. Um, yeah, look, there's a lot of lot of stuff there. Um, I will firstly say, yeah, like I've it, me coming to terms with like the AEW not working backstage and and the dysfunctionality of that organization has been a bit of a process. Um, sure. Like the big swole thing was that was where. I could see the Marco stunt and the Joey Janela stuff, and I was like, "Oh, this is a this is a sign that there's like TK has got too much on his plate at the moment. Like these are these are plates that are being like these are balls that are being dropped. And while I didn't see that as necessarily like um, how do you put it like intentionally, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't intentionally um, provocative or anything like that. He wasn't okay. intentionally trying to like give these guys a bad experience. They're just balls that got dropped because like, I mean, ultimately like as, as much as we like them. And I loved Marco Stunt in Jurassic Express. I, I loved his, like the role that he had in that cut was, it just made it so wholesome, but like ultimately like it's Joey Janela and Marco Stunt respect to those guys as performers. But you know, like I can understand their balls getting dropped when you're trying to juggle a million things, but like, that's the whole point, right? Like, he shouldn't be juggling that much. The one that really, like, made me turn the corner was the Big Swole thing. Because, um, like, as much as Big Swole, like, said some stuff that was, you know, I guess for Tony, it was a bit of a hard pill to swallow. Um, whether it was true or not, whatever, that's up for debate. But the way he retaliated and replied at that was completely beyond the pale for a um, the way that a CEO of a company should conduct themselves. Um particularly given the nature of what her complaints were um the way he conduct he did that in in response was was terrible uh and and really poor and and that really i guess that for me that was a turning point in terms of like how i felt about tony khan the businessman the ceo of the company still think he was a great booker but you know mm-hmm. and and that like chaos as i said like this chaotic atmosphere around the company and the lack of attention to detail has been really clear this year creatively um and and that like chaotic nature that saw these things happen has you know it's affected the company it started to affect the creative on tv and you know like alan angels leaving people are going to leave wrestling organizations like that's a that's a natural thing people are going to move on I, i listened to the talk is jericho podcast with alan angels he chose to leave because he wanted to grow. He was like, I feel like I hit my ceiling in AEW. And you know what? I think he's probably right. Like he got to a point in AEW where he was like, I can't see myself getting more featured right now. I need to go out, go away and make a different case for myself um, and, and develop myself a different way. And, you know, it, things could have been done differently, I guess, for him. But that's like, that's a choice. But when this CM Punk stuff starts happening in the elite, like that's the kind of stuff that will affect your TV deal. Like that kind of dysfunction um, is is the kind of stuff that can wreck a company. Um, and and like I don't think people, I, I don't know what people who 
who are who think that WW that AEW is going to like fold in six months time, like they're crazy. And the the, the WCW comparison is a really poor one for corporately because the issue with WCW and the reason it was sold for pittance was because it was owned, not just run, it was owned by people who didn't like wrestling. AEW is owned by a guy who like loves, this is his pet thing. Like this is his pet little project. Um, He is not going to just sell it. I mean, he just spent $30 billion buying ring of honor or whatever crazy sum it was like, this is a guy who is not just going to sell up like that. So AEW is going to go on, but it might not necessarily go on as successfully if these backstage issues aren't addressed. And yeah, they have like started to address them, but man, like there's work to do. There's a lot of work to do for, for Tony Khan and yeah, I don't know how I feel about like what you were saying with the EVPs. I know mm-hmm. Kenny Omega did a lot of work on the video game, but like once again, like I mean, I don't know what role he has in the video game, but you know, he's a video game. <laughs> he's not a video game producer. Those are I'm two very saying, different things. <laughs> does it make sense? Does yeah. it make sense? Yeah. Like, hey, hey, you like a. Uh... You like making shoes. You like wearing shoes. You're gonna be the guy who's over all our shoes now. What? Yeah. <laughs> Does it make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And and I think like I can understand why they were given you know that title of EVP, particularly given that initially they were going to share creative responsibilities, but that stopped in 2020 um, when TK took over creative. Uh, mm-hmm. And honestly, that was for the better because. The end of 2019 was shambolic <laughs> for, for the, the company creatively. And and that was a, a good thing that he took over that. Um, yeah. Look, I, I think they're a company that has a lot of work to do. And, you know, like they seem to have rallied together to, you know, rallied around John Moxley, Chris Jericho and Brian Danielson. Once again, like how on earth are these like the statesmen of the wrestling industry? Like, I want to be a rock star, Chris Jericho, <laughs> deathmatch side hustle, John Moxley and Mr. Hippie, Brian Danielson. Like more uh, importantly, how are, these, how are these the leaders of the AEW locker room? Yeah. Yeah. But like you can do that rallying around. Right. And then like, it might work for six weeks. It might work for two months. It might work for a year, Yeah, but ultimately those kinds of things will wear off and you can only pull that so many times before it stops having an effect and people start rolling their eyes at it. In fact, they had a talent meeting a few weeks ago and it seems like people rolled their eyes when Kenny got up and tried to deliver some harsh love to the, to the locker room. Um, so yeah, they have to get the right structures in place so that people feel looked after. Um, I think they need something to help, creative like people who aren't necessarily naturally creative i think they need something to help them because one of the great things about AEW is it lets creative wrestlers be creative like Mm -hmm. people like john moxley never get handed a script and john moxley is better for not getting handed a script telling him what to say but there's some people who that doesn't necessarily work for uh and they need assistance with that like AEW needs people who are going to help with that the stuff that Hikaru Shida was saying with international talent, like uh, where, you know, like they're basically left on their own to find a place to rent, to find a place to live. 
um, to like, they need someone who's going to be, if they're going to have relationships with new Japan, if they're going to have relationships with DDT, they need someone in place who looks after those wrestlers when they come. Cause I've, I've actually lived overseas in a foreign country that speaks a different language. It's really difficult when you first go over there. And, and if you don't like, I kind of, I didn't have to, thankfully I didn't have to find a place to live, but that would be so hard. Like if you, yeah. particularly if there was a language barrier, they need to have someone in place who's going to do that. And that's their responsibility. They need to have plenty of talent relation people in places. One person cannot handle a roster of a hundred people. Yep. Um, and it sounds like they have, I think Tony Schiavone and, and someone else, Pat Buck, I think were, were put into specifically talent relations positions um, and leverage off Jim Ross. Like as much as Jim Ross is like, but some often a liability on commentary, that man like has managed locker rooms that were way more volatile than what AEW is dealing with right now. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, that man is someone who has a lot to add backstage. Yeah. Yeah. I, so you're spot on with everything you said, but as a, as a fan of, as a fan of WWE at a time where there was a lot of, a lot of dis, a lot of disappointment in its booking. Mm. I think you can attest to the fact that no matter how strong your locker room is, no matter how cohesive your locker room is, no matter how talented your locker room is, if you don't have leadership that's leading you correctly mm. and appropriately. Doesn't matter. So all of this is cool. We can rally the troops. We can have the best guys. We can have all the cohesion. We can go out and have the best matches. But if the if the head of the ship, if the captain isn't running the company, not only creatively, but from a business perspective, mm. so in the right way, because you said something that I agree with, but I had to rethink that. Anybody who thinks AEW is on the verge of going out of business is ridiculous. Mm. But I do think there's a chance that their business could be severely hampered. Mm. And now it's it, it now that is a I'm not saying that's a well, great here's the, here's the worst case scenario their what's going on now affects them getting a TV rights deal. That's what I was touching and on. And then because they haven't got adequately paid TV wise. And, you know, if Tony Khan isn't willing to sink his own money into it and, and the Khans aren't willing to sink their own money into it, they then can't compete with WWE who will get a TV rights deal that's higher than what they previously got. Um, and and will be cashed up in a magnitude far higher than AEW. AEW may then start to lose talent, and and that's the that's the worst case scenario I think for them. And so, mm. what I'm about to say here, you're probably going to disagree with, and that's fine. I I understand. But one of the things Tony said at the press conference when he got a chance to speak was mm. that he has more money than Jim Crockett, and he has essentially alluded to the fact that he has more money than the McMahons and he's he's not gonna take this fucking shit and he's gonna fight mm. up cool That's hilarious and okay, Tony, man. It, 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 yeah <laughs> and then like the, the the serial killer eyes afterwards was just like wow uh. um and if we're speaking literally he is correct the Khan mm. family fortune is will far surpasses what the McMahon Hemsley's or Levex mm. whatever have it's not even it's not a competition mm. But the difference is, number one, that every dollar of the McMahon's money is is involved in and it comes mm. from and directly goes to wrestling. Whereas yep. Tony Khan is not a billionaire. 
Shahid Khan is a billionaire mm. whose family lives off of Shahid Khan's money. And mm. so this is not a diss. This is I'm just speaking facts here. So yeah, Tony may have an endless pot that he thinks, mm. but every but every when that Dixie Carter is a great example of that. Eventually, mm. they'll pull the plug if it's not showing mm. its worth. And AWS has shown its worth. This this AWS yeah. is not TNA impact. Mm. But um just so I want to touch on that because I hate that because Fez would be like, well, Tony got more money than Vince. Well, all Tony's mm. money isn't in wrestling. Mm. It's not the same thing. All Tony's money isn't wrestling money. I'll tell you what the you know the cheeky response to that could be is that the one one difference is that WWE is a public company. Big difference. AEW is a private company. Yeah. If if honestly, like if Tony Khan and Shade Khan, and I don't know if how bought into this Shade Khan is, but if like if if it becomes a dick measuring competition, there's some real crappy stuff that they could do that as a private company, they're very able to do that the WWE isn't able to do as a public company because they are a, they have to, you know, they have a fiduciary responsibility to to their shareholders to be yep. responsible with their money. Whereas a private company, they can do what they want. Like if they wanted to like just flood the industry with money and pay, you know, pay John Cena, pay The Rock, pay Roman Reigns. Yeah, they could. Ten times what the WWE will do. They could do that. If, you know, they want to bar the WWE from NFL arenas, NFL stadiums, because, you know, they've got Shade Khan owns an NFL team. Those guys, like that that network of people, they stick together. They work together. Like that, oh, would, that would be a really shitty thing that they could try and do. I don't know if it would work or not, but it, it could. Like, and I like. He got I'm the just money. Saying, like, he got the if, money. If it became, a, and and like for you and I, yeah, I don't know your net worth, but like I'm I'm guessing it's not in the billions. Um, <laughs> Last I checked. Hold on, let me yes. check my bank account real fast. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're they're all billionaires, but the magnitude is is different in that in terms of what they're what they do have uh and like if it came down to it there as i said there is some really really shitty things that they could do (laughs) to the wwe if they really wanted to it i don't think it'll happen but you know just cheekily throwing those out there is a bit of a fun thing to think of like what is the what are the absolute worst things that these billionaires could do to each other (laughs) You are spot on that if Shahid Khan had a beef with Vince like Ted Turner did, yeah, it could get really dangerous. And you're spot yeah. on. But the thing is, and I'm and I, I don't want to. I hate to bring some reality to this conversation because it's a oh, look. Thing there's no reality to what I'm talking about. There's like down. very little chance of any of that happening. Yeah, no. <laughs> this this is legitimately, and you and I both are parents. Yeah. If if one of my daughters was like, Daddy, I want to go get a video game, and yeah. I bought the video game, I don't give a fuck about that video game. I bought it yeah. for her. <laughs> Literally, yeah. Shahid Khan is just, doesn't give a fuck about this company. He's just happy. Yeah. His son is happy, right? Yeah. And there's one thing Tony said that is um, on ESPN um, 
my uh, Mike Greenberg uses the term sneaky big news. Mm. Like it's 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 under the radar, but like it can have mm. ramifications. He said in one interview that if it wasn't for the uh, very first or for the upgrade mm. and the um, initial TV deal, getting the TV deal and then getting mm. a little extra influx of money. He was concerned that the company's going to shut down mm. yeah. because he couldn't pay everything. So mm. that tells me, and again, things may be different in 2020, yeah. 2020, but that tells me there's an end to that purse, dog. Mm. That, yeah. that, that, that credit card shut down at some point. So far, so far, he's been responsible, relatively responsible with his money. 100%. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, and look, 100%. like I, I actually work in banking, so I, I don't know people who are billionaires, but I know people who are like in the millions. They're, they're like working towards that, that direction. Um, you know, and maybe in you know 10, 10, 20 years time, they might be heading that direction. Uh, <clears throat> these people don't like they count their pennies. Uh, and you know there are there are Elon Musk out there who will like you know buy Twitter for the spite you know just for the memes, um, but <laughs> most of these people they are they they are rich partly because they are very wise and very prudent with their money, yeah. uh, even though they've got lots of it. Um, and so far that's what the cards have done. But you know I don't know I just think those things like those those things are fun to speculate about because it's i don't know it's just like what 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 are the crazy things that could happen in this i'm just in i'm just envisioning (laughs) wwe going saying we want to run tiaa bank stadium in jacksonville and having to call the fucking cons and be like (laughs) yo what's up with you like the, the hilarity of thinking about it is 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 it's it is the most off the rails thing, but mm. while it while it may sound far fetched, WWE had essentially not legally or literally, but essentially barred everybody else from Madison Square Garden for all those years. Yeah. So yeah. there there is there is some validity in that <laughs> hilarity, even if it's like minuscule. Yeah. But I want to put a bow on this because we've really gone yes ad nauseum. <laughs> By ending, I want to end here, and I ask you this four days ago three days ago and yep. you were like i don't know the answer to that question mm. so i'm going to ask you on the pod and i want to ah, live god live yep. on the pod that's right go for it was cm punk in hindsight knowing what we know now yep was he good for was he good for business was it worth it was cm punk the cm punk signing worth it for aw okay so creatively in the ring that man performed exceptionally well. Okay. Like his in, his initial program with Darby Allen was a great introduction. The feud with Eddie Kingston was incredible. The feud with MJF was like that's an all timer. That's that's like a historically good, historically great feud. It, particularly in terms of what they did character wise. Yeah. I think the stuff with John Moxley was was great. It was like a I think it was a timing issue that if it had, if it had been over a longer period, like if they'd been able to do it instead of over what, like three weeks, ultimately, if they'd been able to do it over five, I think we're looking at another potentially historically great, great, uh, great program in terms of what they're able to achieve. Um, So from an in-ring perspective, 
incredible. Oh, from an out, like the division that's happened within mm. the ring. I don't want to sit on the fence on this, but here's my tempering things is there's potentially other things that we don't even know about yet that have been at play in the last year. So that okay. like this chaos, this divided locker room, these things that we're talking about, um, it may not be as much CM Punk's fault as what we currently think it is. And, you know, these things might come out in books or in shoot interviews down the line. But look, if he gets fired and this is the end of it, I think he was worth it for a year. For one hmm. year. If 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 he gets fired and this is the end of it and things get back on, on trajectory, then – because we're not in it. And, look, one of the reasons – I do the AW Match Guide podcast as a historic thing is I think you do need time to find out what, you know, what is great. Like from a match guide, match guide, that's the match guide. To yeah. know if a match is great, you need time because you need to see how things play out afterwards to know how great the match was. And so to know how how much he fucked things up, we need time to see what happens. Right now... I'm going to say if things get back on track, yes, but there is potential to say no to that. Is that enough of – like, is that – are you, you happy you, with that answer or do you want me to be more de- definitive with it? No, I'll take it because this isn't – This is. there's a lot of nuance involved. There's a lot of yep. nuance involved. Um, Not I just creatively. He did great business. Like, as I said, he potentially – Potentially yeah. isn't necessarily the biggest draw as as some would say he is and what he would say he is, but there's no doubt like their biggest pay per view ever is his return pay per view. Yes, a big part of the the momentum that they had across that summer was him debuting, um, yeah. and Just a big on. part of their other big pay per views they've done: Full Gear, Revolution, Double or Nothing, 2022, was CM Punk's involvement in them. Uh, and as I said, creatively, I've, I, I think he's done really great work. It's some of the best work of his career. But, yeah, it depends how fucked up this whole situation is. And we it, might not even know. <laughs> that's why I accept your answer. I mean, yep. you know, anybody, I think, in a perfect world would have liked a definitive yes or no, but this isn't definitive. <laughs> yep. um, there's, there's nothing definitive about this. And you are correct. Um, something that our mutual good friend, shout out to, the doc, Chad Matthews, mm. um, me and Chad have argued about this for 10 years, literally 10 years, <laughs> is that he doesn't see a reason why any fan should care about the business of, of, of the company. Whereas I think the business is important to care about because there is no creative without the business. The mm. company isn't, if the company is failing, then there's, you're not, gonna, the wrestlers can't wrestle because there's going to be no mm. show for them to wrestle at. So I'm not saying that the, the fans need to be like, you know, studying what Nick Khan is doing and stuff, but like, mm. or, or, or reading like what the mm. Dow Jones is doing, but like at least understand that some of the decisions that we like or don't like, there's a reason why from a business perspective, everything isn't mm. always based on the subjectivity of what fans enjoy or don't enjoy, long story mm. short. So with that being said, as a guy who looks at, cares about, and believes in business matters. CM Mm. Punk has grown the business of AEW. That is 
unmistakable. Mm. While yep. the ratings are not, I mean, they didn't go from 900,000 to 1.5 million, but yep. they have, they did, the ratings were down about seven, 800. Now they're back around yep. 900,000 to a million regularly. That is a. Well, they were, they were back at that point before Sam Punk redated. Had they gotten there? Because I know there was, back there was a little low. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Live crowds did bring it back. Okay. Mm. Good point. But also the buy rates. Oh, yeah. Yep. Way high. While they were spiking again, mm. there is a significant rise. So I agree with you in that. And just on that alone, I would agree with you that today the answer probably has to be a yes. But here's what I know, and I'll I'll leave it at this. And you can retort if you want, but I'll leave it at this and mm. I'm good. Is what I know from watching CM Punk, from following him from his late stages of Ring of Honor all through WWE to now. And just all my history of watching wrestling for 25 plus years is that number one, all business ain't good business. Mm. Hulk Hogan taught me that. <laughs> just, just because you do business doesn't mean all mm. business is worth it. Um, number one. And number two, what I've learned is if the business, if the business you do hurts the people who do the business for you, then it's not worth it to. Mm. And CM Punk could have possibly done irreputable damage mm. to that locker room. Yeah, which absolutely. Ultimately may not be worth it. But as of today, you're going to get a pass from me, big dog. You were worth <laughs> it for a year. Man, that's... uh. That's not something I expected to hear. That's uh, <laughs> from you. Look, and 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 Sam knows. I was a I was a CM Punk Punk Mark, but I what turned the corner for me was exact the exact opposite of what turned the corner for everybody else. Everybody fell in love with Punk when they got when they heard the Art of War. I saw the truth. I and mm. I, I I I don't want well. I saw the truth from my perspective. I have long been known in these internet and wrestling streets as quote unquote a contrarian because I've mm. always seen things from a different perspective. I can't, I can't help that. Mm. I can't control it. It's not a gimmick. Sam knows me personally. He knows I don't just say that shit just to say it. Mm. Anybody who can, who knows me can tell you that. I 100% am on punk side about not being treated fair medically, being forced to work when he told and begged the company for time off things of that nature. Even the, even while I don't think, I think there's a chance that him getting served as papers on his wedding day. Yeah, that's fucked up. But you walked mm. out the fucking company. So you know what? Like you said, an eye for an eye. There's some pettiness there from there's, both sides. From yeah. 100% <laughs> both sides. Yeah. You, you walked out of the company um, at the biggest time of the, of, of wrestling, of the wrestling mm. calendar. But you're like, but I was going to come back to him. No, the fuck you weren't. Shut up. Mm. So while he has a million things right on that regards. As we've learned in hindsight, the way he treated people, the way he was perceived, the way he went about things, you know, he even the 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 Doc A man Cabana trial even showed that he even said himself that well, yeah, you know, they they probably didn't treat me as good as they should have because I was a dick to them. Well, yeah. Now, granted, it shouldn't fucking matter, but mm. we're humans, right? But anyway, yeah. long story short. C CM Punk showed me his true fucking colors, and while I respect him as a performer, mm. 
and I'll thank him like I thank any wrestler that's ever wrestled for what they've done for for my entertainment. Yeah. Giving you know that body. Mm. I've taken I've taken a bump before. I've been in a ring and ran the ropes. That shit is hard, right? <laughs> I I appreciate them forever. Fuck that dude. And I will never <laughs> say that. But I am mad enough to say, hey man, a spade is a spade. I'm gonna let you make it. If Sam say you good, I'm gonna say you good. <laughs> yeah, look, it's interesting what you said about business versus art. Like, because for me, there has to be a balance between business and art. Like, sure. it's important for it, but doing the most min-max thing to earn the most money possible. That's never going to fly with me. Like, I I watch something for entertainment purposes. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think creative people should be able to take pride in what they do creatively, um, not just because of what they're doing money-wise. Yeah, look, Sam Punk, as I said, uh, I... Yeah, the what I'll leave on is how stark the contrast was between CM Punk and John Moxley. Um, both of them cut promos that were directed at the locker room as much as they were directed at anyone who was listening. And you look at the difference between what CM Punk did and what John Moxley did. Like CM Punk had yeah. premeditated, went in there to burn the place down. John Moxley came in when he should have been on a well-deserved vacation to rally the troops and said the most beautiful, unifying, motivating words. And, you know, if I'm going to build a company, maybe Sam Punk pulls in 200,000. Maybe maybe business is 10%, 15% better with Sam Punk than it is with John Moxley. I am picking John Moxley every fucking day of the week, every fucking day of the week. And twice on Sundays, <laughs> I am picking John Moxley because that is someone who you want to build a locker room around. And if you can inject like those words into the into the culture of the company, into the history of a company, you will have a company that is successful not just for a year, but for ten years, for twenty years, for fifty years. And maybe business will be better for one year two years with sam punk but <laughs> with that, that kind of with that. people being in a locker room constantly watching their back worried that they're that the people they're performing with are gonna like stab them in the back are going to like hang them out to dry publicly ultimately that things are not going to go well long term so i'm picking john moxley over sam punk every day of the week and if punk gets fired he deserved it he was had the height of unprofessionalism uh, and yeah, he, he will get what he deserves. Hopefully. Um, yeah. Punk and Gunner. Oh, by the way, I owe you a shirt. I need to say this Ray cash. When CM Punk came to AEW, I thought that the culture of the company would change CM Punk. And we made a bet that he would put over Darby Allen before he finished with the, with the, Company, you bet that he wouldn't because you bet on the person. I bet on the company. And yep. I think you've won, so I owe you a shirt. And you can pick 
the gaudiest Roman Reigns shirt from the WWE shop you want. I ain't gonna do you and... like that, bro. I ain't gonna do you like that. <laughs> I ain't gonna do you like that. I'm, a, I'm because and I will gladly pay for it and delivery. Be, because you're my boy, get me your favorite Moxley shirt, and I'll, I'll gladly, ah, I'll yeah. gladly wear it. I'll gladly wear it. <laughs> well, um, you are a Shield man after all. You are a I, Shield guy. After can all. you see the shirt I got on right now? Yeah, I can see it. I can. See I got it. on the Shield yeah. shirt as we speak. Um, and, and can I just say, yeah. John Moxley in his current form versus Roman Reigns is by far the most intriguing possible confrontation you could get in wrestling i don't know how it will ever happen but man Absolutely if we could right. get that that would be the greatest potential for story for conflict the 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 way their characters contrast like this hero of the people versus the tribal chief and the history they've got together man that would be something truly in, exceptional not just how the characters contrast but why the characters are now the way they are yes Mm. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, the next time I get a chance to get on with you, because this is something I hope to do. I mean, let's say regularly. I don't mean like every week, but definitely I want to. <laughs> this is I. I love talking to you. This is fun. I love the clash of beliefs and styles. I want to touch on that business versus art conversation. So yeah, remember man. that. We'll table that. Let's do it. Um, by the way, again, I had to go overseas for this shit. So I want to thank you for staying up with me. I appreciate you getting on. We've been planning again, literally for about two years now to do this. So I appreciate it, man. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, plug your shit, tell them where to find you yep. and we'll get out of here. Yeah. Look, if, if you've liked what you've heard, or if you want to disagree with me, you can find me on Twitter, sir underscore Samuel. And yeah, listen to the AW match guide podcast. Uh, as I said, season two of the show has started. Uh, we, we talked about the revolution tag match. Um, just this Friday, next Friday, we're talking Darby Allen versus CM Punk. Um, so talking about the good times for CM Punk and focusing on that. Uh, and, you know, we've got plenty coming up. We're going to be talking um, matches that happened in the last year or so of AEW. So I've got the Hangman Page, Daniel Bryan series coming up. Um, and if you look at, you know, find an AEW match you like and, and, and listen to it. I've, I've done like 26 of them so far. As I said, with Ray Cash, I did the parking lot fight, covered a lot of the favorites, most of the big names. So yeah, check that podcast out. It's a, it's, I, I think it's a really unique podcast. I don't think there's anyone else out there who's covering AEW in the way that I am. Uh, I'm not trying to just toot my own horn there, but I think it's yeah, the uh, truth. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, I would love it if people could could give it a listen and let me know what they think. But, yeah, as I said, find me on Twitter, Sir underscore Samuel. And thank you, Ray. It's it's a pleasure to, it's a pleasure to be on with you. Um, it's great to have you back in your voice, back on the radio, on the on the podcasts. Uh, I know you've been going through a lot, and, and I appreciate um, having the conversations that we've had over the time. Uh, and I think yeah. it's a really great example of um, – how you can disagree with someone but not be a prick about it and not be a dickhead about it um, and and have a respectful disagreement uh, and how that can actually be fun uh, and that can actually be enjoyable. So, yeah, mate, I, I appreciate you uh, and I appreciate you having me on today as well. I, hey, man, it's been it's, it's my pleasure. It's my honor. Uh, when I call you my friend, I mean that. That is not just some shit I say on, on air, uh, truly. And if ain't nobody called it yet, Whenever you get around to doing Daniel uh, 
Daniel Garcia versus Willie Uta from this past week's Dynamite. <laughs> How at your boy. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I would love to talk about that on the, yeah, on the match guide if you, whenever you get to that. Yeah. Um, of course, I'm at It's Ray Cash. It's R-E-Y-S as in Mysterio. C-A-S-H as in dollars, as in all them billions of dollars Shad Khan's going to use to shut out the WWE. <laughs> um, I'd be remiss if I didn't holler at my boy, uh, my brother in arms, Kyle, uh, at Dr. S'mores, and the show's at Outsider's Edge, C-S. If you are the person that has the at Outsider's Edge uh, handle, Holla at me before I go off on the rant, CM Punk, CM, a CM Punkian rant, <laughs> to get my shit back. I'm coming for that handle. Um, and look, we always end the show with the whole CM Punk rant. Look, I cannot do it justice. I cannot <laughs> do it the justice that Kyle does it, and I damn sure can't do it the justice Phil Brooks does it. So I'm just going to say thank you for listening. And uh, we will be back at your normally scheduled time Friday, but uh, for now, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy your day. Thank you for listening. We'll holler at y'all next time. And um, how y'all say goodbye in Australia? Goodbye. Uru. 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 <laughs>